Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to episode 13 of The Upcoming. And The Upcoming is, of course, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Now, this is going to be a really special episode because joining me for episode 13 of The Upcoming is another podcaster herself, but not just any podcaster. She is the host of Typically Peachy, which, like The Upcoming, you can also find on Spotify. She is a pro at what she does. She loves talking about what's trending, what's uh, happening right now, all the things going on with her life and how you can improve your own as well. And if you're a podcaster, she's got great tips on that as well. She's also done a lot in her life. She has been the president and founder and editor in chief of Spec Magazine back in USC, as well as the president of the Fashion Industry Association. She's also served as an associate media planner, media analyst, and even a media strategist. She knows her game when it comes to media she knows how to do things and so now she's about to share all the incredible incredible tips and strategies and everything she's learned with me today right now so without further ado ladies and gentlemen i give you the wonderful the amazing emma isaac how's it going emma Jonathan, thank you so much for having me. That was such a fantastic introduction. I feel so qualified when usually I don't feel that qualified. So you really, you really hyped me up. I appreciate that. I'm really happy to be here today. Thank you so much for asking me to come on. Fantastic. Fantastic. So Emma, um, in honor of us meeting together like this, I actually bought um, some Simply uh, Peach uh, Juice. Oh my- Along with a um, bowl of uh, peaches right here, because I love it. I yeah, love it. I know you're all about uh, all about peaches. You guys, you gotta keep it peachy. Gotta yes. stay peachy, even when it's tough out there. So I am like pouring me a glass of simply peach oh uh, for this conversation. I love right this here. so much. Thank you. Of I course, of course. That. So Emma, uh, one thing I always do with my show is. I like to give my guests a time to introduce themselves. So in your own words, Emma, who and what exactly are you? Oh, my gosh, that is such a loaded question answering who and what I am. But I appreciate the question. So thank you, Jonathan, for asking me. Um, first and foremost, I think in this stage of my life, I'm a podcaster. I'm proud to say it. I love this medium so much. I'm so happy that we both get to do what we both love to do. Um, I'm also a creative. I'm incredibly passionate about all of the projects that I've done. Like you listed, the various endeavors that I have gone through thus far, um, I'm really passionate about all of them. And they really have completely different facets to each and everything, but they're all still within the same vein. So yes, I'm a podcaster. I'm also a fashionista. I love pop culture. I'm also currently a media strategist, and I'm very heavily involved in the media landscape right now. Um, And yeah, I just, I like to bring all of those things together, I would say. Uh, And and yeah, just 
have a well-rounded a well-rounded day-to-day with every single thing tied together so that's that's a little bit about me but yeah thanks for asking yes yeah of course you're welcome so you know as we talk a little bit more about this i'm actually just curious of how you got into you know the realm of media like what what um, got you to like pursue this field? What made you believe like, you know, this is what I want to do? Yeah, I feel like media is a really tricky one because a lot of people, basically probably everyone that you would ask would say, I think at least that they kind of fell into media, which was very much the case for me. Um, Like you mentioned, I went to the University of Southern California. And when I was there, I was actually a costume design major and then a journalism minor. And which is crazy to hear that now, right? Like this girl, she's in media now, she's a podcaster now, like what, how did, how did that translate? And I think that media, it's a place that is, it's crazy because there's so many different elements to it that I think that we don't even really recognize from the day to day, how ingrained in society media is, right? Like media is advertising, media is marketing, media is social media, media is all of these different things that we see in the day to day. And so I started like, definitely like pursuing my passion straight out of college, I was doing a lot with editorial fashion, I took internships within that sphere. Um, But I was interested in more than just the creative process. I think I was also really interested in knowing, okay, how do these industries make money? You know, like, how is this publication sustaining themselves, right? Like, how are we as consumers able to come to this site, like Vogue or anything else and say, like, hey, I get this all for free. Like, how does that work? And that's really what the media side of things is, right? Like, it's it's putting advertisements on a platform. It's marketing those products that get on that platform. And it's making it so the consumer can have those platforms for free, you know? So I don't know. I think that it, like I fell into it, but I also found my own passions within it. So hope that answered the question, but yeah, it was kind of a, kind of a weird way for me to get into it, like starting from where I started, but in some kind of odd way, it also makes a lot of sense for where I am specifically right now. Yeah, no, definitely answer this question. Yeah, it is so it is so funny how just such a shift can come when you're on one field and then you're just moving completely towards another. Definitely. But you do bring up a good point, like just looking at how these companies like are able to make their revenue, even though you know what all the all the products, all the services they're offering are not really that expensive to us consumers, and so. It really just does make you just really curious and really interested in seeing how they do things. And so once you now, my next question, once you were able to get your first chance to like step into that field, what surprised you about the field of media? What like, what did you not like expect to learn when you were starting it? I would say that pretty much everything surprised me. (laughs) I think that media from an outsider's perspective is very, um, like, it's just a field that we don't really know a lot about as consumers if you're not in it. And then once you're in it, it's like this whole world that, again, like, you don't realize 
how ingrained in our society it really is, especially nowadays. Even like my job as a media strategist, that, that job probably wouldn't have even existed 10 years ago, right? But now it's so integral to how so many companies make their money, you know? So I think that when I entered into the field, understanding, I mean, so many different platforms for one, right? Like there's so many things out there like Google Ad Manager, Booster, Prisma, like all of these different things that I, if you guys are media buffs out there and you work in the media landscape, you're probably like, oh my God, Prisma, like all of these different things that you have to work with that you just don't even know that these tools exist. But then there's also just day-to-day -day skills about the job in particular and about these different companies, these different media companies that there's so much to uncover. Unlike the on basically just like the industry side of things too, you know, like how, how niche it really is. I mean, yes, it's huge, but also it's niche in the way that everyone knows each other, you know, like this world, all sellers out there, they all know each other, media strats out there, they all know each other. Like I was working in LA and how I got moved to Chicago was because of a contact that knew somebody that had just left the LA office. So got me in contact with them and it was a trickle down effect, you know? So this world has a large, this media world has a large impact, but at the same time, once you're in it, it feels very small, which I didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't know any of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely understand that. So this sort of niche world where everybody knows each other and that's how you're able to go from, LA to Chicago that is honestly kind of fascinating. It just goes to show you how well connected everybody sort of is in that world. And it makes sense because they're all operating in the same sort of, in the same sort of fields, same sort of. Definitely. Area. So, yeah. but I am curious, you know, when you moved from LA to Chicago, obviously there's going to be a lot of, you know, cultural differences. How do you see like just the, such a big transition affecting you and your role as a media strategist. How did you see like the culture differences, like just making an impact? Yeah. I mean, I guess personally, like I grew up in the Midwest, so I'm originally from Minnesota. So going from Minnesota to Los Angeles to Chicago, Chicago actually felt like a really nice middle ground for me personally, because it's still a big city, but it's the Midwestern city, right? So for me personally, it was a great move. Um, but within the landscape, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to say, especially because so much of our work now is remote, that my team, I would say the biggest change probably if I think on it, is that the company that I'm in right now and like the work that I do is working with teams from every single different region. So I have teams that I work with in Canada. I have teams that I work with in London. I have teams that I work with in LA, in Chicago, of course, in Poland even. And with my other job in Los Angeles, I think I was definitely more heavily focused in Los Angeles. The clients were mostly there. My coworkers were all there. So I don't know if it's necessarily the moving to the different regions so much as it is that we are now living in a remote or a hybrid situation, which it allows for, I guess, more 
it allows for us to work across regions and across countries and get to know people a different way, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's, what, it just got me really thinking about the sort of remote uh, hybrid life, too, is how, how, do you, how what's your relationship with like the um, remote and hybrid situation? Because before that, you know, the, everybody was like commuting and everything. Then COVID came and said, now nah, let's 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 change that. So now people are like, nope, I want to be home with my family working. Oh, my gosh. I I'm so conflicted with it because I am I'm definitely a very social person. I love the co-working environment. I love being around coworkers. I like the mingling co- culture. I love going to grab a cup of coffee. I love talking about your frustrations. I love talking about your achievements. But you're right that at the same time, the comfortability of being at home and just the ease of it too is really, really nice. I think I, at this point, really do prefer a hybrid environment. So being able to get a little bit of both. Um, But yeah, I would say it definitely depends on the day because just like everybody else, I also love rolling out of bed and being able to open my laptop and just like working straight away from there and not having to go into the office. But yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a miss of that face-to-face contact. And I think if you don't have at least some FaceTime with coworkers, that that's that lack of something is always going to be there. Yeah, I I can understand that. I can understand a hundred percent. You know, I also wanted to go over um, things you, um, things you did prior to uh, working in media fields, because I mentioned that you were founder, editor, and uh, yeah, founder and editor of Spec Magazine. So, you know, when starting your own magazine, uh, what were what were some of the lows that made the magazine that much more special to you? That's a really good question. I think that the hardest part of starting anything is getting people on board, especially if it's something that you're incredibly passionate about, but they, they didn't start it, start it. Like they didn't ideate about it. So for them, there's some convincing involved, some kind of level of convincing of why something like this is going to be beneficial. And And I think that you, yeah, you probably see that. Like, I know I still see that like with things that I do still. Um, But I think that's probably one of the hardest things is just starting. But once you do, it's also one of the most rewarding things, knowing that you're able to start, that you kind of, for lack of a better word, had the courage to start something that you have no idea if people are going to be on board with. You don't know if people are going to like it. People are going to care about it. But I find that people like passionate people. That's something that I live by. I think that I love it. Like I love when people are passionate about something, something that even if I have no interest in, I would so much rather listen to somebody talk about something that they're passionate about because that in and of itself is kind of interesting. You know, like, why is it passionate? Why is that your passion? Why are you so passionate about it? So I think when I started my magazine, I was kind of just I decided one day, you know what, even if nobody cares about this, even if nobody reads it, even if it's just me doing this, I want to start it because 
We're at USC. We don't have a magazine. We're in the heart of LA. We don't have a single like lifestyle entertainment fashion publication. That's wild. So I came in freshman year and I was like, okay, well, if this doesn't exist, I'm going to try to make it exist. And I'm going to do everything I can to make it exist. So I hit the ground running. I just did a lot of research on how to start organizations at USC, how to get student government money funding for it, um, and all the processes in place to actually make it a recognized organization at the school so that you can fundraise, um, rent out spaces, all of these different things. So I did that. I went through those steps, those initial steps, and then I started to get people on board. And I remember even from the get-go of that, there were people, specifically one girl, Stephanie, that was on board with me through like starting it to like, like after I told her the idea, after I sent in the application for us to become an organization, she was like, yes, I'm on board with you. And she was my creative director, like all the way through to when she graduated as well. So even just having her there too, to be able to support like the endeavor that I was trying to take on. And then, you know, her being able to be passionate with me, her being able to speak to the magazine. And, you know, a magazine is a really tricky thing because people love the idea of it, but they don't really care to be a part of it until there's a physical copy, until there's something that they can see. So once we were able to produce the first magazine, which was so crazy, like there was, there's probably like 10 of us, 10 of us total trying to figure out how to get money, like how to print. Like we didn't know how to print anything. We didn't know like what printer to work with. We were like taking money out of our own pockets to like try to fund this thing. And, and of course we're like college kids, like we don't have money. So we're like really just like scraping the barrel. Um, but once that, and you know, everything was student, student run, right? So we found models, like we held an impromptu casting. I had a friend that was a photographer and I was like, Hey, can you be a part of this? Can you take pictures? I had a friend that I said, please come model for us. So we kind of were super scrappy, especially for the first issue. Um, but once that first issue came out, one, it was like crazy how accomplished we felt after that first issue came out. But then after that, there was a lot more interest in the organization. You know, people saw the physical copy um, and people just people wanted to join. People gravitated towards it and people really responded really well. And we ended up growing. We ended up growing, you know, just a lot and year over year. And it was a, probably the most gratifying feeling was knowing that once I left USC, that people wanted to continue it, you know, because at that point I was like, okay, I know that I love it. And, you know, that was freshman year. Like I started this, right. So by that point, there were people that were so heavily involved, people that you know, I could definitely trust to get stuff done. We had an executive board at that point. And by my senior year, it's not only that we had all that and that we had general members, but we also had people being like, hey, once you leave, I would love to be editor in chief or like, I would love to be the creative director once Stephanie leaves, you know? So having that succession and people wanting to succeed and and to succeed, you know, have the magazine succeed past when we left, it was a really gratifying feeling just knowing that we created something that 
not just that it had longevity, but that other people were also now just as passionate as I guess I once was when I started it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is an amazing story because you know what? You're right. It does. Like, first of all, I would not call you out scrappy. I would call you out resourceful because <laughs> making Thank that you. magazine does take like a lot of diligence and it does take like a lot of like figuring out and it's going to be a lot of ups and downs, but you're right. Yeah. It's always about like, getting people like to like not just appreciate but want to like follow the vision you have that's the hardest part because right. not everybody's going to be exactly like for it and i will say one of the biggest mistakes that we made for that you know like you have a ton of people that sign your sheet and then only so many people apply to actually be in the organization or show up to the first meeting and it's kind of heart-wrenching because you're like, oh, but there was so much interest. Like, where did they all go? But I will say the funny thing that I remember is that at our first involvement fair, we made the colossal mistake of instead of having people type in their emails, like on a laptop, we had like pen to paper, people writing their emails down, like on a piece of paper. And obviously not everyone has the best handwriting, so after the involvement there, we spent hours trying to like put everyone's emails like into actual form so that we could send them the email. We we're like, we were, this was so short-sighted. Like we should have had them type out their emails so we could easily send them information. But it's little things like that, that you think like, why would that matter to have people write their own emails down at an involvement fair? But you figure it out. And I will say, that I had, I mean, yeah, I started it, I founded it, it was, it was my initial idea, but the, um, the people that were, were able to then rally around that and like, bring so much of themselves to this publication, this organization was phenomenal. Like I said, like Stephanie was like my, like, right hand person. Um, but there were so many people along the way that just completely like, started to to understand that vision and like progress past my vision even you know like once i graduated th they started a podcast you know like they have a podcast now for spec and it's like i'm like that's amazing like you guys are so amazing and i still like the editor-in-chief from last year she sent me their last publication and i was like this is fantastic like this is better than what we did you know and that's how it should be like to continue to grow and to see an organization like that grow and to see people do even better than you did, you know, like that's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's honestly one of the most rewarding and just frankly touching uh, parts about it. Just seeing people to like carry on that legacy and like go even further than you. Yeah. And, and I know it's, it's still just amazing to this day, how far spec continues to go, even without you being there. You still are you still able to get uh, copies of Specta magazine? This past year, yes, because the girl that was the editor in chief, she like I still had a relationship with her. I actually don't know anybody in the organization anymore now. I'm what three years out of college now, I believe. Um, so yeah, I don't really I don't know any of them now, but I follow them on Instagram always giving them the likes, always messaging them. Like you guys are doing amazing. They probably don't even know who I am. Like they're probably like, who is this girl? Like <laughs> she always DMs us. And like, she's always telling us that we're doing great. She's like our biggest fan, but she doesn't go to USC anymore. Like she's weird, <laughs> but I don't know. I really, I love watching from afar. 
Yeah, yeah. It's honestly gotta be beautiful. But yeah, you know, as we transition from spec, um, uh, what were some of the things you uh, talked about in spec? Because I know, I imagine um, fashion had to be a part of it. Was it? Yeah, definitely. Fashion, lifestyle, pop culture, um, kind of the works. Just and it was very much like whatever anybody was really passionate about. And they wanted to either write an article about that or they had a really cool shoot for an idea. It was incredibly collaborative. We had like a brainstorming session at the start of each, um, at the start of like each issue. So each semester. And we just went through ideas and figured out, you know, sifted down ideas to the ones that we really wanted to pursue that year. And yeah, made them happen. We had different, you know, pods for everything we had like the photography part and we had the writers and we had the models and we had so it was it was a very full-fledged organization by the end but yeah it took it took a lot yeah yeah and the things you mentioned that you talked about in spec uh fashion being one of them uh, first of all all the things you just mentioned are things i hear a lot about and typically peachy but uh, <laughs> the biggest of them i know fashion i know because you were also president of the um uh fa- Oh my gosh, I just had a name for it. I just forgot. Oh, the fashion, idea, industry. fashion Industry Association. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Had it, then I immediately forgot it. But sorry <laughs> about that. But in any case, yeah, so fashion has been, you know, been like a big part of, you know, sort of your life and your um, hobbies. So I, I'm curious because we both know fashion is sort of like just trends. There's always going to be different takes on like what's fashionable, like who's wearing what better, like who, like how, like, what sort of changes are being made because i remember my father used to tell me like you know fashion is a trend is constantly changing but style style is always consistent always like lasts. so emma when you look at uh like when you look at that how do you like how do you determine like what kind of fashion fits your sort of style great question i think the biggest thing is that I try to not limit myself in any way. I try to think if I think that it looks cool or if I want to wear it, then I should wear it. Um, I think you're right that we get stuck a lot of times in trends. And I don't think that trends are a bad thing by any means. I think that they get a lot of bad reps sometimes. But, you know, trends, the, the whole point of why people follow trends is because they want to feel like they are of the time. Like they want to be wearing what their friends are wearing or they see a celebrity, they see Hailey Bieber wearing something and they're like, that looks really good on her. I wanna wear that too. And that's perfectly acceptable. Like there's so many things in our society that that we copycat off of each other. And I mean, I think that's a form of flattery. but I don't think that you should let trends limit you. I don't think that it sh- you should only follow to the point of not feeling like you can express yourself at all. Um, because I think then, then there's not really a lot of identity in it. Because for me, fashion, it really is about that. Like there's, there's identity in it. There's your, your own background in it, your own passions, your own love of fashion, your own distaste for other things. Like there's so much expression within the one thing. And I'm a person that does feel like there are so many things about fashion that is artistry. 
I mean, like I said, I am a costume design major, right? So there's a lot about fashion that's that's more than just the garment. Like there's so much history behind every single piece of clothing that you're wearing, but not only history, like if we're wearing something that is a trend right now, that's going to be historical 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, that's what we're wearing right now matters in the sense of fashion history. So I don't know. I just think, I think it's larger than just the t-shirt, larger than just the pants, larger than just any of that. But I think that it's all, it's individualized, have fun with it is I think like the, my biggest piece of advice for people that are like asking about fashion. And for me personally, right now, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do better with it too. Like I'm trying to be conscious of what I am wearing and the things that I am putting on, you know, like, like right now I'm wearing, a, well, you can't say it, a Pangaea hoodie, which is like a fantastic brand they're sustainable, they're ethical. And I'm trying to do better in that sense too, which I think that we can all do better. The fashion industry as a whole can do better. And it's hard, right? Like I'm very, and I talk about this on my podcast too. And I try to give like tips on how to shop sustainably or to go thrifting as opposed to buying new, but we all, we all do it. Like it's, I think to help yourself in that way is that don't get down on yourself. If you bought something from a store like just be cognizant of the fact that you did that and why you chose to do that over something else and just make little changes, you know, because changes like that, they're not going to happen overnight for you. I think it's really hard to do stuff like that, especially if you're a fashion lover, you know, because it's really hard if you really, if you want to buy something that's really new and the thing that's really new isn't sustainably made, you know, like it's a hard choice to make as a consumer, but I don't know, little things to do better is one thing. And then just remembering your own individuality and no limitations, I would say. Yeah. And your own individuality, no limitations. So yeah, that's really just all it comes down to just being yourself and like knowing like what you enjoy and what you like to wear the most. And so it's something maybe a lot of people forget about because they're always buying up close to impress their friends or their uh, significant others or their parents or whatever. And so, but they're, but they're missing out on sort of just the art of fashion because fashion to me can definitely be art. And so it brings me to my next little question here is when you're shopping at, whether it be something as high end as you're someone who would shop at like let's say Burberry or uh Gucci or any of those places gosh Jonathan I don't know I don't know if I have the money to drop on stuff like that right now in my life <laughs> but, oh, man. but I mean let's, but, let's... I mean I don't know I, I think that there are like I think there are phases where I think that like like I have so much appreciation for long-standing brands because like I said I'm I care about the history of those brands too and I care about the fact that they're not, they didn't just start one day and they became high end, right? Like there's, there's longevity there. And there's, um, there's a lot more to it than just like Prada became Prada, you know, like there's, there's a Chanel became Chanel, you know, there's a lot to those brands, um, that stem just past their brand name. So for that reason, I, like, I do have appreciation for them and yeah, like I would, love to purchase something high-end possibly one day but I don't know like maybe my my views could also change like I just I don't know but 
yeah i don't know because i was just going to go into my uh, uh question about yeah. uh, comparing let's say the high-end places like uh, burberry and just common places like thrift stores because i remember yeah. you doing um talk about um thrifting and one of your uh, episodes so you know do you when you're looking at them do you see a little bit more creativity on the higher ends or the lower uh, lower end stores like thrift stores or or it does it really just depend is it just more so about like is it never just like one like single place is it just like depending on the type of store you go to like well thrift stores are really interesting because thrift stores you are choosing your own style within that because there is no commonality there there's no two shirts that are alike there are no two pants that are alike no two bags that are alike you're picking through everything that has had another life with somebody else before thrifting that's kind of the thing that i love about it is that i know that that t-shirt that i bought that used to live somewhere else with somebody else and that person that wore that t-shirt has a whole nother life story and I have no idea where this t-shirt came from or like how long it's been out there in the world, but now it's in my possession. And maybe later I'll give it to another thrift store and then it'll be in somebody else's possession. I think that's the coolest thing about thrifting. Um, but also the uniqueness of thrifting is something that I really like, something that I just recently talked about on an episode of Typically Peachy is just there, there is so much ability to form your own style with thrifting because again, like that choice, like there, there are unique pieces there, but you're also forming your own unique style within it because you have to mix and match things together. Whereas if you're shopping at more of a traditional store, they are, they're putting in front of you sameness in, in what they're producing at the time. Right. So if you walk into a Prada store right now, they're going to have a certain seasonal line, right? That's that you can choose from right now. If you even walk into and in any other store, you know, like not even as high end, they're going to have their line of clothing right now, which I think that does follow more of the trends, you know? So, and not to say that you can't be individualistic within that too. Like you could go into a store, you can go into a Prada store. If you can afford their pants and shirts and bags, you can mix and match that and you can make it your own individual style within that. Um, I think they just put it, they put it forward. They give you like an extra layer of putting something forward for you that you probably wouldn't have, I guess, if you went thrifting or searching through your friend's closet, you know? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to um, just shift away from fashion because I couldn't help but notice something that I am extremely jealous of. And that's <laughs> that um, recorder, um, vinyl. Um, record oh, yeah, yeah, that, that um, <laughs> record player record right there. Player? Yeah, your record player. I could not find the name of it for a second. <laughs> but yes, because uh, I've also noticed that in your episodes, you give like your little um, song for so an added to your typically peachy uh, yes. playlist. So, you know, as you sort of just go through each and every song of different genres, different tastes, what about music do you think like just has so much of an impact in your life? I love music. <laughs> it's probably the most normal thing to say is you love music. I think most humans love music. There's something about it. But with you, us. with yeah, you, it's with like, it just hits you on like, a deeper level. 
music to me ties to memories. I think that's probably the biggest thing that's music and smells is probably the thing that I don't even know if that's what they say, but I I feel like those are the two things like sounds and smells are the things that tie the most to your memories. And that's definitely true for me. If I hear a song and I have an association with pretty much every single song, even if it's a new song, right? Like I know where I was when I first heard that song. I know where I was when I first heard that old song and it brings me back to that memory and that I love that. Like I love holding on to something like that and having like an actual representation of remembering a moment. But more so than that, I think that one of the things that I love so much about music is that there's nothing quite like hearing a song for the first time that you know automatically is going to be one of your new favorite songs. I I can't even describe that feeling. It's just, it's like, it's like intoxicating, you know, like you hear a song and you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is my new favorite song. Like everything about this, the lyrics, the beat, like everything, you know? So. And even in some, and even in some situations, there might not even be any lyrics to a song at all. And it still hits you like sometimes even harder. Absolutely. Yeah. It just, so there's something so special about music. And like you said, that's, it was an element of my podcast that I didn't even really know that I was going to be bringing into it. But then I realized week over week, I was suggesting a song in what in my podcast, I have different sections of the podcast and in the what's good section of the podcast for the week, I introduce one or two or sometimes three if I'm feeling crazy, (laughs) new songs, and they could be songs that are brand new that I literally found on New Music Friday, or they could be songs that I've loved forever, or they could be songs that I just randomly heard while I was shopping, and I Shazam the song, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this song, I need to add it, so I realized that I was doing that, and requesting songs week over week, and I think one of my friends actually recommended it to me, he was like, you should like make a playlist for this. Like if you're going to be recommending songs, like you should add it to a playlist. And I was like, you're so right. And at that point, I think I was only maybe 20 episodes in or something like that. So it wasn't too much to go back and add the songs to a playlist. So I did that. I added, I listened back to the episodes. Like I listened to the songs that I'd recommended and I put it on the playlist. And then every week since I have added the songs that I've recommended on the podcast, the playlist. Um, And it's kind of just a great hub for like, that's my favorite playlist, you know? And of course it is because it's the songs that I love, but I I love having it in one place. And I love being able to reference to in my podcast. If you guys want to hear this song, go listen to the playlist, typically peachy, what's good on Spotify. It's always there if anyone wants to hear it. So cool i like it yeah and thank god for shazam because there have been so many instances where i was hearing like an amazing song and and it took me years to hear that song again it was just stuck in my head for a long time and it just irks you so much it's the worst and you know what the worst is too if shazam can't pick it up and you're just like, please, please, please. Or even worse, <laughs> or even worse, like just as you're pulling out Shazam and like typing your um fast and, song ends. and just as you and just as the song ends, you're just like, like you were so close. I was so close. Yes. And oh, like terrible. And, 
Yeah, some of the you know you know it's funny. Some of the best places like to find like really awesome music have been like like coffee shops and like like Barnes and Nobles and I'm sorry if you if you heard any background noise. That was just my Hi. dog. I have a dog. Oh, <laughs> what kind of dog? He's a terrier mix. Aw, he's hey. like what's his name or her name? His name's Sprite. Hey Sprite. <laughs> hey Sprite. Emma says hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, well. had him for a while. Do, do you do you have pets? I do not have a dog living with me in Chicago, but I do have a dog at home back in Minnesota. She is the cutest little Havanese. Her name is Luna. Um, if you guys want to see what she looks like, you can go on the Typically Peachy Instagram and for episode 100. She made a feature in the picture. So she's the little white dog on the couch. She's adorable. And then also back in Minnesota, we also have a family bird. That's a fun fact about me. Hmm. And she speaks about like two words of Spanish. Nice. But barely. Like <laughs> Still, it's pretty yeah, impressive. It's, it's hit or miss if she could like actually speak or not. But people in the family household like to think that she can. Yeah. But um, as I was saying, it's just it's it's like just the simple places like a bookstore or a coffee shop where you find some of the best music. And it's really kind of a shame that you're hearing it from there where you're not even like technically would be paying attention to it compared to like the radio or YouTube where you're paying attention, like full attention to like the music that's good and everybody. And I and I absolutely irks me when people say that music today isn't good because I'm like, you're not looking in the right places. You're not listening. You're not listening to the right genres. You're just like, and so, because I found some of the greatest music on Spotify. And, you know, uh, a funny place that I will say that I never thought that I would love listening to a song is I found a new song by, I was put on hold. I think, I don't even, I think it was actually Apple support or something. And I was put on hold by Apple support and like just the music that was in the background like while you're waiting for somebody to come pick up your call, I was like, I love this song. <laughs> so I like Shazam that song. And I, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I feel like that's the music that annoys people. But I was like, no, this is a good song. <laughs> How <laughs> ironic is that? Yeah. <laughs> that is so funny how yeah. that works. But, you know, one thing I want to um, talk about, um, one of the last few things I want to talk about, is just the, just the vinyl itself. Because vinyls have been, I actually remember doing a report on this back in college and marketing the arts. Vinyls have been hitting like a surprise, like just rise in the um, in recent years. People have uh, been like promoting them, especially in bookstores. You see a lot of them. People have been going um, buying them, even though they're primitive, completely primitive right. compared to what we have right now. And so, yet people latch on to these latch on these pieces and so when you look when you look at it, emma how do you like sort of interpret or like analyze just this surprise love for such a classic source of music yeah i mean i think that first and foremost it's kind of like a fun thing to have like i think it's like a fun kind of gadget i remember i'm pretty sure i got mine like middle school or something. Like I asked for it for like a birthday. I thought this is so cool. Like I want one of these. I think the resurgence of it though, it's really just about, I mean, I don't know anything that's vintage. Like it comes back in some way or another. Like I think even, 
I was talking to my friend or maybe it was my brother about this the other day, but the, the iPod, right? Like they discontinued the iPod, right? I'm sure those are going to come back. You know, like, I'm sure that we're going to have iPods again because people are going to think that they're cool and they're going to want to just like detach from their phone for a second, but still have music when they're walking. You know, I think that the combining of everything is for here and now, but I think that all of these things happen in waves. And I think we'll probably retract back to something like that. Same as vinyls. And I think vinyls are just another way, I think, too, to support artists you know, in kind of like a unique way. If maybe you're going to a concert, you're going to see one of your favorite performers and you really want to hear their whole album in entirety so that you know all the songs, a really fun way to do that instead of just listening to a playlist on Spotify is to buy the vinyl, right? It's not outrageously expensive. It's not too much. And when you when you have a vinyl, you're listening to the album in full, which is something that I personally really like about it because there's not a ton of situations that I think we do that anymore, unless it's like an artist that you are diehard for, like you love them so much, you listen to the, like every single track on that album. But with a, with a vinyl, you're kind of almost forced to, I would say, but in the best way, because there are some hidden gems in there that sometimes they're not the immediate favorite but you listen to them over and over again and you start realizing, actually, I relate more to those lyrics or actually, I really want to hear that one again. How do I move the needle so I can get to that exact song? But that's also hard to do on the vinyl. Like it's hard to pick an exact song to start and stop with. So it does, it makes you listen to the whole thing. And I don't know, I think, I think people love little appreciations like that and it's fun to have it in a home. Yeah, it is. And it's really cool to hang up on your wall, too. People like to hang it as their own, like, personal portraits or souvenirs. And it is. And vintage things do eventually come back. It's like people who buy typewriters. And uh, it's (laughs) I remember the funniest thing I ever seen the funniest prank. Somebody actually brought a typewriter to a library and was using it. And people were just looking at him like he was E.T. or something like it just it was so I am such a sucker for stuff like that, though. I also had a typewriter in middle school. Like, I, but it's it's stuff that like I thought was cool because it was old. You know, it's not even that I was like, oh, I want to have a typewriter because I want to type all of my papers on it. It's like I I liked that. And that's not a unique thing. Like people people like that. People like knowing that it was once the technology of today And now we view it as old because we have so many advancements. We have the iPhone, the laptop, the microphones, you know, we have all of these things, but I don't know. It's cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. It is kind of cool, isn't it? So, but now I just want to go even more further. It's just taking a shift as we talk about, you know, what what was the technology today and compared to like what is old and primitive now, we just keeping around just just for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. And that's talking going back to your role in, in media, because, you know, there was once a time where let's say cable TV was just conquering the day. It was like everybody had a television and now looking like just going to the present, 
now less people are saying they watch cable TV. They're saying they're on YouTube or Disney Plus or right. uh, freaking Netflix. I myself haven't like watched cable TV in a very long time. Right. Like YouTube's my main source of entertainment. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is me, strategist. Emma, how, how do you like, what do you anticipate in the coming days when it comes to media consumption? Like, what are you, at the very least, like just really like anticipating or even expecting will happen? I think that there is going to be more and more, but I think that we are also hitting a point of fatigue. I think that with every single streaming platform out there, every single company doing their own thing, it's kind of, it's gotten to a point where it's almost, it feels like it's cable all over again, right? Like it's, it's kind of, it's adding up to the same price, at least if you're subscribing to all of these different things, the Disney Pluses, Apple TVs, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, those are just some of them, you know? They're all so exhausting too, because with every one streaming service, it's like two more take their places and they all charge you up for but yeah, and, and I think there's there's a lot of it, but I think it also provides such a, a unique opportunity to have so much content, like more content that we've ever than we've ever had. And I think that that's good and bad in multiple different ways. You know, like I said, there is fatigue with that. There's so many options. There's so much to choose from. But we're also getting phenomenal content out there. We're getting amazing TV shows, amazing movies, you know, these writers, these directors, these actors, they're doing fantastic work and they're doing more of it than we've ever seen before. So in one sense, it's great that there's opportunity for those people to shine from a consumer standpoint. I think that just like, just like everything comes back, I think that there's going to be the same kind of resurgence. Like we're going, there's more streaming platforms, but it's becoming more like cable in ways that we don't even like recognize. And I don't know, the, the media landscape as a whole, I think it's always innovating. It's always improving. There's so many new things coming in every which way. And like data collection, for instance, right? Like we have so many more data capabilities than I think we ever thought were going to be possible. But at the same time, with that, consumers are getting pretty fearful of how much data we want to give these people. Because at least like in, in my industry, I or for me, just as a consumer, really, I think advertisements, although a lot of people see them as maybe quote unquote bad, if there's a targeted advertisement out there, if there's an ad out there for something that I know that I could actually buy, that I would actually want to buy, I would rather see that advertisement than see an advertisement for something that I would never want to buy, that I would never think of buying. So I, I guess it's kind of a, a roundabout way of saying that there are pros and cons with the media landscape and with every single facet of it I think we'll we'll see a lot more that we don't like we'll see a lot more that we that we didn't know that we were gonna like but we see that it actually really makes our lives easier and we'll probably meet somewhere in the middle and then probably go in opposite directions all over again 
it's ever changing. And that's the great thing about it and the terrible thing about it all at once. <laughs> Frankly, it just all sounds in a way a little chaotic, really. Because Definitely. It's, it's incredibly chaotic. But so is every industry. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think every industry, every business law, I'm sure. I don't even, I don't know anything about law, but I'm sure like they're a medical industry. Like I can't even imagine how chaotic that is. On the day-to-day, -day, I will say though, in the media industry, we remind ourselves constantly that it is not brain surgery. We're just selling media, you know? It's just media. Like you have to put that into perspective of what it is that we're doing here. And while it is integral to our society in the way that we're living right now, that doesn't mean that it necessarily will be years from now, or maybe it'll be even more integral years from now. We don't know, but we're taking it on, you know, the day to day and recognizing the position that we're in. Love that answer. So, yeah, for me, I just like to wait and see because the changes are going to come. And yeah, there will be a lot of terrible things, but also the a lot of things that people are surprisingly okay with because right. we are humans are just as unpredictable as the media that's why media is unpredictable absolutely so you know as we start to uh conclude our conversation which i am very very sad about uh i want to um take it right back to you emma because you know you have been you've done a lot of leadership roles from college all the way to now and just leading this podcast on your own like it's just you you have no co-hosts or anything like you're able right. to take on the show and drive in the direction you want it to go and through all this I really just see like I really just see that you have a sense of freedom to you like you really just want to operate on a sense of freedom and like and it can also sense like a big like entrepreneurial spirit to you and it only got reinforced to me when you talked about your uh, founding of Spec Magazine to now running this podcast and being president of the Fashion Industry Association. So, Emma, as you continue on with your endeavors and with your career, like, what is it about just having that freedom that just drives you so much? Yeah, I would say that it definitely does have an element of freedom, but I would say that it mostly has the element of chasing my passions and understanding what those are, understanding how those change and understanding how to best put them out into the world in a way that I feel fulfilled in. I think that's the constant thing that I'm always looking for. How do I fulfill my passions? How do I feel like I'm doing something that to me feels meaningful, that to me feels like I'm doing something like I'm doing something that is past just my day to day, but something that I really, truly love, because I think that so many people get caught up with, you know, having it all in one, you know, like their job is the thing that they love, the thing that they like also make money from the thing that sustains their life. And maybe that will be the place that I'm at one day that like, and I do like my job, like I really I like my coworkers, I like the environment, I like the media landscape. There's a certain passion that comes from podcasting for me right now that is like no other. I would say that the biggest, the best thing to compare it to is when I started Spec, the magazine. I think that doing something 
that you love on the day to day that is you're just doing it. I think you start doing it for you because it's something that, you know, like you're, you feel like you can rally behind, but then it becomes more right. Like you recognize that there are other elements that you do really love about it. Like I love the content creation of it. I love speaking. I love sharing. I love finding new material. I love talking to people, even if I don't know who they are, like talking somewhere in the ether, thinking that there is somebody listening on their headphones or the other side of their phone or whatever it is. I like the idea of community. That's something that I like even past passions. Like I am a big community person. I am obsessed with my family. I'm obsessed with my friends. I'm obsessed with my loved ones. And I love talking to people, you know, like I love, I love it all. And I think just you say freedom and the freedom aspect of it is absolutely true, but mostly in the sense that I'm able to do the thing that I love. That's, that's the part that feels freeing, knowing that I have the autonomy to every single week, plug in my microphone speak to an audience and release it every single Thursday. And that consistency of it, it maybe it feels like daunting sometimes. And it feels like I got to get this out. Like I'm doing this, but I promise you every single Thursday after I release that episode is one of the happiest feelings that I have that week, because it's more so than just freedom. It's also like accomplishment, right? Like you said you were going to do something and you did it. And you did it week over week and you, you were proving it kind of to yourself too, you know, and putting out something that you're proud of is an unmatched feeling every single time. And that, that feeling absolutely never gets old. And I'm saying this now doing this, doing my podcast past hundred episodes, that feeling still never gets old. Every single Thursday, releasing an episode, I'm doing a happy dance over here. I'm just like, thank goodness I released another podcast episode. (laughs) Like, and it's fun. It's all, it's fun. And I think as long as it's fun, you should keep going. Yeah. hundred percent. Like live life to the fullest people have fun with what you do because life's too short to be working and doing things just to survive. You gotta be able to find the things that truly fulfill you. And you know, Emma, I 100% share your love of community and of just being able to talk to people because that's why I founded my podcast too because I absolutely love meeting new people and having conversation and you know just making new friends so in this podcast you can truly 100% be yourself and it's one of the greatest feelings in the world and yes there is an incredible amount of satisfaction when it comes to publishing your episodes and whatever time period so it's just really beautiful I do just want to say too that I know I said that like I love this medium for so many reasons, podcasting as a whole, but even just hearing your passion for it too, knowing my passion for it, I just want to give like a PSA out there. If you want to like start a podcast, I love this medium so much because it's so inclusive. Like it's one of the, it's one of the few things that you can do on your own. You can literally pick up a microphone, you can press record and you can put something out there. And even if you don't put it out there, doing something like that for yourself, just knowing that you can do it. It's a really cool thing. 
yeah it is honestly it's not even a cool thing it's an it's a wonderful thing it's it's a amazing thing it's just yeah. honestly got amazing so is there anything um is there anything else you have to say to the um potential podcasters out there i mean like i said before like just start I guess if you're thinking about it, just do it. And don't even, don't even plan like a date to do it. Just do it. Like seriously, just do it and correct later. Like it, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect when you start. When I started, I was so much worse than I am now. And my goodness, I hope that within the next hundred episodes, I improve way more. <laughs> like there's, there's always so much room for improvement. So don't let the fear of starting stop you from pressing record. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe typically Peach could go from a podcast to a full on like TV show or something, you know? It's, you never know. Sky's the limit, Jonathan. Sky's, sky's the limit. A hundred percent. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for episode 13 of the upcoming. I want to give one big, um, one big thank you to Emma Isaac for joining me today on this amazing conversation. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. Yes, it has. So, folks, that is all for this episode. Be sure to tune in next week. We publish episodes Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And you can follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast. And so, yeah, we'll be sure to um, have another episode for you next week. That is all. And ladies and gentlemen, good night. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, please sure to follow us on Spotify for more amazing content. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody.